Hello and welcome to Storytellers of STEM. My name is Rachel Villani. This is episode number 14 with Anna Madliner. She is a mechanical engineer um, studying underwater robotics in Stockholm. Uh, and she tells us how she got into robotics, which I find fascinating because I knew underwater robots existed, but that was literally the extent of my knowledge. So it was cool to hear about that. And um, then we also talk at length about her experience being a woman in STEM, particularly in engineering, which is often a very male dominated field. So we talk a lot about that, which kind of uh, relates back to our whole Homeward Bound program that we're in. And if you want to know more about that, all you have to do is uh, follow me on Twitter because I talk about it a lot. So we relate this whole gender and STEM and gender equality and all of these things, which are all very complicated and uh, just sort of interact a lot and they're just it's it's a big tangled web of things that we talk about and discuss at length but I find that I learned quite a bit from Anna um, because her perspective is very different from my perspective which is why having these conversations with different people is so important so I hope that you enjoy this conversation and um, Anna's stories uh, yeah so enjoy So uh, I'm Anna. I'm originally from uh, Berlin. That's where I, I went to school and um, studied in my bachelor degree mechanical engineering. And uh, now I'm doing my master master's degree in Stockholm in robotics, and um, specifically focused or passionate about underwater robotics. Um, and yeah, I'm in, currently writing my thesis, so luckily, hopefully you finished into, in the summer. Um, and then, yeah, heading to Antarctica with you. <laughs> um, and yeah, currently not yet defined what I'll do after that, but that's the, the, the big picture. Um, yeah. And I, it's kind of a... An interesting story how I got into ocean technology, I suppose, um, or a very un uh, what's the word a very um, uneventful uh, story at first. I think we had this this debate or this conversation at some point within the homework bound group how we actually got to the passion that we're that we're pursuing, and I always feel or I get this question quite a lot also from other students that I'm studying with how I manage to have this passion or this clear sight of where I want to go at the end of, of, of the master's degree um, since in robotics there's a million cool things that you could do um, and it it kind of is just a gradual process or was a gradual process I suppose and um, yeah, uh, I don't know how far back I should go. <laughs> yeah, as uh, far um, back as you want to. I... Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, it's, it's so actually, it's always been, I mean, I've always loved the ocean. I've grown up a lot next to the ocean um, and always loved being 
underwater, in water, around water, um, and was always intrigued by the mystery of it and um, by the unknown, always loved dive or still love, um, just swimming out into the ocean, diving down and looking into the deep blue and just being like, Wah, what might come at me? <laughs> um, and it was actually, I was, I was in the States during high school for a year um, and got a lot of different insights about, you know, what you could do in the world, thought I'm going to study language, I'm going to study international relations, um, business, I don't know, it all sounded cool. And then I came back, but I also realized that I really love math and chemistry, because I had a great chemistry teacher in, in the States. And uh, in Germany, the way it worked in the last two years of high school is that you choose like specialization classes. And uh, I took, I, I took chemistry and um, again, had a great chemistry teacher who suggested to read a book by a German author. It's called um, The Swarm um, by Frank Schätzing. And it's a semi-dystopian uh, end of the world scenario that is based on true facts, um, <clears throat> where he explores the potential effects of uh, destabilizing methane hydrate in the uh, ocean, um, in continental shelves underseas. And uh, that includes real scientists and real experts who are in British Columbia on Vancouver Island, who are in um, Norway, who are in Germany. And um, I read this book and I was so consumed by it. I was like, oh my God, this is so exciting, both from a um, chemical point of view, but also the fact that it's underwater. And um, we then had to choose a, a we had to write a, an extended essay, sort of, like a long research paper for, for graduation. And I chose to write it about that topic and actually contacted one of the research institutes in, in Germany uh, called Geoma and uh, asked them if I could do an internship there for two weeks to just kind of learn everything about it. And they didn't have a spot, but they invited me anyways to come and just chat with the researchers for two days instead of actually doing the, an internship which turned out to be way more effective also because then I just got a tour of the labs that I could interview everyone. And um, it only actually now closed that loop. But um, I remember walking through the lab and the researcher who was a geologist. So we were really talking about chemical and geological aspects here, not at all about technology. Uh, he was guiding, like showing me through the labs and just in the corner, I saw these gorgeous underwater robots. <laughs> and they had also this giant pressure tank. And I was like, whoa, that's cool. Um, I wish I could do that one day, but well, that's never gonna happen. I'm never gonna build robots. Like, who do I think I am? <laughs> and um, I guess somehow though, that information was resting in the back of my mind to come jumping at me at some point. <laughs> at the right time um, in history. No, but um, what happened then is that I started studying energy engineering and um, thought, I like math, I like chemistry, it makes sense. And after two years, I realized, okay, wait, that's not at all what I want to do. I want to do something with the ocean and this is not bringing me to the ocean at all. Um, so I started digging two years before I was even ready or done with my undergrad. I started um, 
I uh, started looking for master programs that would have something to do with engineering and ocean and what I would have to do to get into it. So um, at that point, I switched to mechanical engineering and started uh, looking for opportunities to just learn more about oceans and um, underwater technology and found a conference in Norway, which was called the Ocean Week. and um, which took place at NTNU in Trondheim, where I knew that one of my professors, um, whose class I really loved at that moment, um, had like an educational network with. So they had a possibility for exchanging students for um, research, for bachelor theses, for um, classes, whatever you wanted. Um, and so I just went to him after a lecture and asked, have you heard of this, uh, this conference? And he said, no, but it sounds fun. We can, we can send you there. And I was like, okay. Um, <laughs> um, so, so I went and uh, for five days, I was in this research environment, you know, typical conference. Researchers, professors, politicians are talking and I'm sitting at the back of the lecture hall thinking, what am I doing here? <laughs> I know nothing, but I feel, I feel important. <laughs> um, and, uh, and, and yeah, then I, um, I was taking it all in and hearing about all these different aspects of underwater technology. So from aquaculture, aqua farming to um, autonomous shipping, to deep sea mining. Um, and then there was this small lecture part on autonomous underwater vehicles by a professor from Portugal. Um, and I thought, ooh, he works at a underwater systems and technology laboratory. That sounds fun. I need to find a thesis. I need to find an internship uh, for my degree. I'm going to ask him. Um, and, and so I just did. And he said, sure, when do you want to come? <laughs> Um, and then I went there for my bachelor's thesis and um, an and, and, and internship and uh, graduated, went traveling for a bit, started applying for master theses and was like, okay, I need to, I want to, as I was, wait, I have to back up for a second. When I was doing the internship in Portugal, um, it was on a more mechanical hydrodynamic topic. Uh, so it didn't have something to do with directly the, the, programming of the robot or the building of the robot directly. But I remember standing there for three months in this laboratory, just thinking, God, I wish I understood this. I wish, um, I wish I know, how, I knew how to build one of these things. Um, and had this, this thought in my head that, you know, I've done mechanical engineering now. I get it. I know what I sort of where I have to look, what I have to do. I want to, I have no idea about robotics. I'm gonna, I'm gonna do that. Funnily, um, electrical engineering, programming, and uh, statistics were my worst, worst courses in my bachelor degree, and robotics is nothing else than those three subjects. <laughs> um, but it, it worked out in the end, and um, now I'm here, and they have a great underwater research lab um, here at the university. And so to kind of close that long story. <laughs> um, what it really, for me, is, is a very gradual process that I didn't even knew all the time along the way, like what I was really looking for. But um, it, 
in the end boils down to some very distinct moments where I just decided, okay, whatever, I'm just going to ask. <laughs> um, and I'm just going to actively look for things also, which is essentially, um, I think, what, what, what is so important in, in science but, or in general is if, sure, you can have an interest and you can have a passion, but um, it doesn't just come flying, flying at you. And I was once in an interview for a scholarship and the professor who was in that committee asked me, how, how come you've been at all these conferences as an undergrad? And I was like, I just asked. <laughs> <laughs> um, which also makes me feel like the biggest imposter um, because I feel like there was no point for me to be there, but I guess, I don't know, it worked somehow. Yeah, so that's how, <laughs> that's the story until, until today. <laughs> Yeah, I, when you were talking about it, I, what I wrote down was that I love how you like had your interest and you actively pursued the next step because mm. that's really hard to do. It's just mm -hmm. like, just asking. It sounds so simple, but it's so hard. It can be intimidating. Mm -hmm. And I think that, that that being proactive is really inspiring because I certainly have not done that even now. And I think that that's just asking because it's, it's definitely a no if you don't ask, but it could be a yes mm -hmm. if you do ask. So I think yeah. that that's brilliant that you were able to do that and jump on your next step. Just yeah, asking. it's, I mean, I, I think, I think that is, um, I've always, you know, that's almost a character trait of mine also. And actually to, 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 to kind of finish that, um, that whole process and that whole loop, just some weeks ago, I saw that at that institute where I first saw underwater robots ever, <laughs> um, they were, they had a job opening um, for what I thought wouldn't even be a job because it was like, that's my dream job, but this can exist. Um, as engineer and pilot of a manned uh, submersible. So of this like four times four meter underwater uh, robot with, you know, it fits two people and it needs people who, who work on the technology, who engineer it, who work on the software and on the hardware. And then you also get a training as a pilot and you dive down to like 400 meters. And I was like, oh my goodness, that is exactly what I want to do. This is my dream job. But I thought, I, I bet I don't fulfill the requirements. I clicked on it and it was like, oh my, that's not good. I fulfill the requirements, um, but, but the job is supposed to be filled in April and I don't finish my, my, my studies or my master until the summer. And damn it, why can't this job open like five months later? That is such a bummer. And I thought about it for a couple of hours and, and, and then I was so unable to focus on anything else because um, I was actually studying for an exam at that point, which was a week later. Um, and this is also descriptive of it. Whenever I study for an exam and I need motivation because I just don't see the point of studying anymore, I look for jobs. I've always done that. I'm like, okay, I need to see a vision. I need to like <laughs> find the reason why I have to pass this exam right now. It's like so abstract and one would think, yeah, you just, it's so obvious why you have to pass the exam. But um, I go looking for jobs and, um, and uh I saw the job, the deadline was like two days after, and I thought, well, okay, I'm just gonna apply anyways, just to see what happens, because it's too, 
it's too um, iconic of a story that that robot is the one I saw seven years, eight years ago, which made me think, oh, I wish I would one day be able to work on that, but I will never. Um, <laughs> and yeah, I mean, who knows if they, I, I don't know, I haven't heard back, but um, <laughs> uh, even just that, that um, story still, the process of looking for it, even though it, you know, the chances are slim or I don't even fulfill or I can't even start at the time when they would want me to start. Even that like didn't hold me back. And I think that's because as you said, as you said, you, I, you like that I actively pursued um, the, um, or looked for, for the opportunities. It's because if I don't have a vision somehow, I, I am paralyzed in what I do. And that's, um, I don't know how much you've talked about this already on the podcast at all, um, but when we did the, um, the format assessment in, for Homework Bound, um, I was very strong Q4. Um, and very little Q2. Um, so very much the what if and visionary aspect of it and very little the detail oriented how do I actually solve this problem? And that is so me, um, where I should be writing my thesis, but I'm thinking like six months ahead. I'm always thinking six months ahead. And last year I was thinking to six months ahead as well. And it has good and bad sides because it also means that, you know, sometimes you don't focus enough on the things that you should be focusing on to get to where you want to be, but yeah. Well, it means that you probably won't finish grad school and be like, well, now what do I do? Which is what happened to me. <laughs> ah, really? <laughs> I finished well, and I was like, okay, it's a weird time of year. Like I had applied for a bunch of temporary jobs because nobody was hiring full time that time of year. And mm -hmm. I just like took the first one that hired me. <laughs> I was like, all right. So you, so you, you, you got the job, but you just didn't finish the thesis or the guest. No, I did. I, I started the, okay. uh, it was a it was a temporary job, but I started the job okay. like two weeks after I turned my thesis in. Okay. Um, but yeah, but I didn't have yeah. a plan. It just happened. <laughs> it was like, yeah, yeah. I'm sure that you will have a plan, which would be probably way preferable than a random job that I took. Well, yeah, yeah. but it's also this perfectionist in me that doesn't just want any job. Um, That's fair. I was like, I need to feed myself. <laughs> Yes, that's the other point. Um, absolutely true. That'll that'll kick in for sure. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> um, yeah, but it's. I mean, it's. Um, I've I've noticed this especially here in the during the graduate um, school program in Stockholm that. Um, of course, this is not. This is generalizing, and I'm sure there's other examples. But most of my friends and the other students who are so good at really having the deep, deep knowledge of things and understanding topics and um, devoting all their time to, to class uh, work have very little idea what they actually want to do afterwards. And the same thing, well, I noticed the same thing also in Berlin when I was in my um, undergrad that those with great or amazing grades are not 
the ones who um, who who have like one precise passion or who um, know what they want to do. And that's not a bad thing um, because I admire anyone who can actually do all these robotic things, for example, in detail, uh, where I just think I get what it's go what's going on when I see it. Um, I'm not the fastest in implementing all of it. Um, and you really need the balance between the two types, but um, it, yeah, it, I think it's a, it's kind of a trade-off in a, in a sense, maybe. Um, but yeah. Yeah, I feel like you just described me. Like I had good grades, but no idea where I was going. <laughs> <laughs> Which is totally true. Like I just felt like yeah. I was like, I just lucked into this and lucked into that and like mm. had a general idea and yeah, mm. no, no real goal even now like i have a mentor through work and he's like mm -hmm. well what are your career goals i was like uh stay employed <laughs> like <laughs> i don't know <laughs> keep making you know doing good science i i got nothing after that i don't know so that mm. was i mean i like my job it's just i don't know what my goals are mm. um we'll see I, i'm working on that but yeah it's 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 interesting to me being one of those that side to like hear that you have this very well like maybe not specific but like this this range of this is your passion you're going there and i think mm -hmm. that that's that's admirable to to have found that and actually go for it i think that's that's fantastic yeah it, i mean it but it can also um it can also distract you in a sense from identifying the 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 objective necessary um, things to do in that moment. And I've often felt a very, I've often kind of felt like I'm sneaking through um, in a way, which I don't know if that's maybe also a thing about, um, about being a woman in, in the field, uh, but it, it's often felt like, oh, um, I, I, I don't, I don't deserve it or um, sure I have this passion, but that comes at the cost of not having great grades and not feeling like I actually know what I'm doing. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, I think that the beauty is, which is what we're also kind of experiencing now with homework bound is the, the, the interaction between the two types. Um, mm -hmm. And um, yeah, I think that's, that's, really important also because without someone who can actually implement your visions your visions are not worth anything um if you can do both that's great but i've rarely met someone, yeah, most <laughs> someone who actually yeah exactly um yeah i'm the doer not the vision <laughs> yeah yeah uh, which is the number three the yeah that was me yeah. hard three yeah. over here <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah that's interesting yeah it's funny yeah so my i just as a side my coworker, um she's she's i don't know what she would be if she took the test the format but she's got a lot of good visions and i am a doer but she's also part doer so like mm -hmm. together we make a good team she's got these ideas and i just make them happen mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. which is it kind of kind of perfect yeah. um, i also started a lot of things 
So I do some things. I yeah, yeah, a lot yeah. Of things. I think everybody. I, just, I, I don't. I don't finish a lot of things. Yeah. <laughs> and I take a leap on many things. Like I, I can send out so many. I, I'm very good at finding things, as you said. Like I'm really good at just digging deep for finding applications and finding funds and finding um, another conference and I don't know finding programs and things like that. And uh, yeah. Um, it, or try them out, etc. Uh, but then that also means I'm distracted from pieces and homework. <laughs> yeah, it's a hard balance. It's a hard balance. But it's really easy to distract from a thesis. Yeah. Oof, yeah. The thing is also I'm building a thesis. I'm not actually writing a thesis. Oh, right. So that makes it that too. <laughs> even more it makes it even more um more measurable if you're not you know yeah building anything <laughs> nothing is there <laughs> right no that's true like you know how many pages do i have to write or can i be done five pages early or if you're building something it's either yeah, done or it's uh, not i guess yeah it works or it doesn't work and that's kind of the problem um it's also less less um sympathetic to really condensed work towards the end of the deadline <laughs> Yeah. because you have to we have to produce material and things like that. it'll all work out um it'll all be fine but um i think actually what what for for me grad school was really about um being okay with that and it's been the last couple of months actually through the whole um reflection with homework bound also and with this um assessment the, le the um, learning style assessment that i've come to understand why I work the way I do and what I do and um, or how I learn in specific ways and kind of giving myself more of a benefit of the doubt that yeah that I realize I know I can I, or I could um, understand and study and get great or very good grades if I study really really deeply which I used to do in the undergrad but at some point I'm just so full of ideas and so so in a different place that I just don't really care that much anymore and I think also because I've made the experience that the really defining um, stages of my career so to say or the university career so far at least um, never had anything to do with with grades it was with it had to do with passion for me mm -hmm. um and and it's really yeah this this grad school was really a good opportunity to to just understand that and to now towards the end of it i can also say to to trust the process that in the end i'll manage it'll be fine it doesn't always have to be on the deadline and there's only so far that i can push myself and if i don't manage then i don't manage and to not be so hard um on it but yeah that's a that's a process yeah it it'll um, always mostly yeah. be fine at least most of the time you know mm. it's usually not life or death scenarios for most people so you know yeah so yeah. It, you know i'm yeah. sure it'll be fine um yeah. one of the things you wanted to talk about was uh women in stem yeah did you want to talk about that Mm -hmm. uh, I feel like, I don't know, but I feel mm -hmm. like engineering and robotics would be sort of a skewed one way 
like more men than women. But I don't know yes, if that's, that's for sure that's true a, or if that's just... That's, that's a right feeling. <laughs> um, absolutely. I never really noticed it so much in Berlin. I mean, we were also more men than women, for sure, in the mechanical engineering. But it was also a lot more people, um, a, lot, a much bigger university, so I was never too aware of it. Um, I did... I, I, I have been heavily noticing it ever since I came here um, because we're 60 people um, in the master's program and four of us are women. Um, oh, so, yeah, uh, very few. Um, of course, it does get mixed up a bit because then we share some classes with, for example, the machine learning master's program. They tend to have a big, much bigger percentage of women already. Um, but the the acceptance i don't know if it's because they don't accept more women if i don't have the statistics on that obviously i highly doubt it um but the problem i guess lies more in the fact that to qualify for this master's program you have got to have a undergraduate degree in something like electrical engineering telecommunications or automatic control engineering automotive engineering mechanical engineering mm -hmm. which simply is a, has such low um numbers for women um or such low representation of women and um it however it wasn't really until i i, I got here that i started to actually um, spend time thinking about the issue um and spend time uh reflecting on it and kind of seeing myself as one of them um, because I never really did that before. I was always like, I don't care that I'm a woman I, in, in engineering. I'm an engineer and that's that. And I don't want to be seen as the, of the one of four um, in, in it. But being in more and more research environments here, I realized, no, I'm gonna, I'm, I have to, I have to, uh, be the one who starts to debate on these topics and to who draws attention to it um, because of yeah just just small little moments that I yeah that happened and that I started to to kind of notice and be like this is starting to annoy me <laughs> um, and I remember when I was writing my bachelor thesis I had a very iconic moment with um, with my supervisor and uh, he was this very um, was retired already uh, and took up the um, was so nice as to taking up uh, the supervision of my thesis which I was writing in Portugal as I um, said earlier so it was already kind of a complicated co uh, process and I felt like I'm picking you know cherries because I'm making this so complicated why can't I just write my thesis in Berlin like everyone else Mm, so I was hugely, I felt very in, in debt, indebted, is that a word? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Indebted to him for even accepting it. And uh, I came back from Portugal with, with a bunch of ideas. I had a lot of different uh, thoughts on what I could, you know, investigate. I had some simulation results and, 
had all these visions and all these scenarios of, whoa, what if I did that? And what if I like tried to, to do that? And what if I solved this? And what if that happened? And at some point, it was a summer day. It was really nice and bright outside um, and warm. And uh, he, he looked at me and he said, you know, you're sitting here with your curly hair and your red dress. And sometimes that's just engineer enough. And I was like, eh? it, does, it didn't make any sense in German either. Um, any grammatical sense in German, but I immediately, I immediately got what he wanted to say. And he wanted to say that sometimes less is more that sometimes, you know, just focusing on one of those problems that I identified is almost beyond the scope of bachelor thesis. Like that's absolutely fine. And that's a legitimate comment, but he decided to make it about the fact that having a curly hair and a red dress is enough qualification for being an engineer and i was like what um but i was so confused about the comment in the moment i just asked him do you mean sometimes this is more and i should just focus on one he said yes um i said okay great went went to lunch with friends and told them about the story and they just looked at me and said that was incredibly sexist like do you understand what that what he just did there and i just slowly kind of started processing that um that conversation and realized, wow, I mean, it, it was the typical um, situation of a power position that I was victim to, sort of, because I thought, I, I realized in the moment, okay, I feel uncomfortable, but I can't say anything about it now, because then I'm this rebellious, hysterical woman um, who, you know, can take a funny comment or... Um, what if he decides, well, if you're going to make a big deal out of this, or if I even went to report it, <laughs> um, then I don't have a supervisor for my thesis anymore, which I already spent so much time on. So that would suck as well. And, and so you're just caught in this moment of that was so freaking unfair, but there's nothing I can do about it. Um, and I had another professor, uh, who I was, um, uh, sitting in an office with to ask a question, ask me um, uh, if I'm pregnant too. And I was like, what is like, that's not even, that's not even, that's none of your business and you're not even legally allowed to ask that. But once you do, you don't have the possibility anymore to just say, I don't have to tell, like, I don't, you are not allowed to ask me that. You, you, you then there was another guy sitting in there who came to me afterwards and said, um, you know, you're not, you don't have to answer that question. Like you're not legally bound to answer that question. I was like, he's not, he shouldn't be asking the question. And anyways, those were uh, smaller stories that happened in Berlin that I kind of didn't really care so much about in that moment. But in retrospective, I realized how they were kind of descriptive of the bigger problem. Um, and then when I, when I came here uh, to Stockholm, there's definitely a lot bigger awareness uh, about it in general already in terms of um, the education and the um, general advancements in the country and the education for, or in academia for, for gender equality. But um, as, you, as you said earlier, as expected, um, I mean, the representation of women, especially in robotics, is very, very low. Um, in the underwater um, 
or in the maritime robotics lab, we have, um, I think, 20 researchers and PhD students working and two of them, I believe, are women. So it's really, one of them is only, so to say, uh, a researcher engineer and not a PhD student. So <clears throat> it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's very, there's very little representation. Um, and, and so then when I came here, I started, yeah, engaging with the topic a bit. Um, and especially started with, with small moments, like, uh, I was working on a homework assignment with friends and, um, I, we got, we had to do this lab assignment, this programming assignment, and it had a 20 page description of the tasks we had to do, um, <laughs> which within a week, I think, I think one and a half weeks or two weeks we had for the assignment. So I read through the whole thing and the structure of it was very, how do I say this diplomatically? It was, <laughs> it was unfavorable because towards like, I think on the last page or the second to last page, you got a, um, uh, a hint or a note on remembering to do something in the first assignment, which was like on page six. So you really had to read through the whole thing to get to this piece of information that basically told you, by the way, you have to start the first assignment in this and this way and don't forget to include i think it was something like don't forget to immediately write it in this type of structure or format or this kind of function because otherwise you will get into a big mess towards the end and what happened was that i went in to <clears throat> to chat with the two two guys that i was working on this homework with and i told them okay so i went through the whole thing and it's a bit confusing so i think it could be great if we just like kind of write a plan and write a step-by-step -step outline of the tasks that we have to do and then go then tackle it because there's a lot of information in this that we might otherwise miss and they said ah we haven't read it yet um and maybe we i think we should just like start coding and you know start right away and then we'll see what happens and i was like mm, no i think that might not i mean like i don't know there's there's so much information in there and it would be and we have to somehow divide the work as well because we're supposed to be three work people splitting the work and i felt so insecure because it's a, it was a it was an artificial neural network so i had no idea of the topic and um was very yeah intimidated by it and <clears throat> and then one of them said after I, you know, suggested this and that I read through it all and I marked the things and I did it with co different colors and everything. He was like, he meant it in a compliment, but he said, that's such a woman way of doing things. You know, men, we just, we just, we just start by coding. We're just going to do that. And then I was like, are you serious? And then he just, and then they just started. And from that moment on, and that is a personal trait, of course, but from that moment on, I just felt like I, ca I can't do it. I won't, I won't get what they do. I won't succeed. And was so taken aback also by this comment of that's such a woman way of doing things, which even if it were true, then like, okay, so why don't we do it my way? Like, <laughs> he, they acted, they both, the end, the second one said, 
yeah, I mean, it's so smart. You're totally right to do that. It's super smart to do it that way, but we won't do it that way. And I was like, why? What's the, like, how is that possible? <laughs> it was just so strange. And um, a week after I dropped out of the course because I was so overwhelmed with the workload and I just couldn't, I, I, I just couldn't do it. Um, actually, I think three quarters or so or two thirds dropped out of that course after one week because so much, yeah, it's so much stuff. Um, and the same guy who made the comment uh, about, you know, that's such a woman way of doing things also dropped out a week after. Um, but <clears throat> what this, th that example is also important to me because um, the same guy is incredibly humble and nice and interested in learning about the, um, about my feelings in the situation. And it, it, it kind of showed me that um, it's a matter of lack of communication from both sides and a, a lack of me speaking up saying, you know, that's shitty to say it like that. And you know, that's the kind of small moment that makes women feel less welcome and less accepted in engineering. And um, then there was a, <clears throat> um, I have so many little stories. <laughs> um, there was another point um, and I took a computer vision course. Um, so it's about, you know, like how robots or how computers in general see and how to analyze images and camera images. And um, for example, for autonomous cars, how do you use cameras to detect humans, etc. Really cool stuff. And um, uh, again, because I get involved in too many different things, I started taking that course dropped it um, and started taking it again last fall. And so I encountered, or I witnessed that the professor held his lectures in a completely uh, identical style twice, which is absolutely fine. I'm, I bet every professor does it. But there's one specific slide that he introduced in exactly the same way, which um, features a, a picture of a um, women from the from Playboy, from a pornographic from a pornographic magazine, because in the '60s, when researchers in the States developed the JPEG format, or what we today know as the JPEG format, when they developed the algorithm for that, they just decided we're sick of the pictures we keep using. So um, someone opened up a Playboy because this just happened to lie around in the office. Why not? Because it's the sixth and there's only men working on it. Um, and they decided to take this, uh, use a photo of, of this uh, Swedish um, model or the Swedish girl who had never modeled before, but who just like wanted to be featured in the Playboy. Um, they cropped it. So it was only the, the headshot and the face. Um, in front of a mirror and then she like looks over her shoulder it's a beautiful picture and then um, ever since then I think it's the most downloaded picture on the internet it's been in the computer vision research environment the entire time it's like that is just the picture that everyone uses and um, the way my professor introduced this uh, this lecture um, was he, he was about to introduce one of the algorithms and then said, so this is Lena. Lena used to work at Systembolaget, which is the um, Swedish monopoly where you can buy alcohol. Um, 
which has nothing to do with the story. It's completely irrelevant and doesn't say anything about her. And he says she used to work there um, until she was pictured in a naughty magazine. Ha ha ha. Um, and then she became famous. And then, you know, 80% of the lecture room laughs with him. And then there's just a couple of people who don't laugh with him. And I dare say that those were probably most of the women. Um, and when I witnessed him saying that the second time in, um, in September or whenever it was, it was after I had started Homework Bound already, after I started being a bit more aware of the topic, I was thinking something is weird about the fact that he doesn't talk in any way about the history of that picture. He doesn't explain where it comes from or that, of course, you know, it's a bit of a controversial picture to use or so. He just says, you know, this is a picture of a woman in a naughty magazine and he makes a joke about it and not everyone laughs. And I was like, something is making me feel weird about this. And I feel like it shouldn't be accepted in 2019 to use a picture from a pornographic magazine that shows an almost nude woman in a lecture slide. But that's just a feeling. <clears throat> and then for a couple of weeks, I contemplated over it. And I was like, something makes ah, I'm feeling itchy about it. And I talked with the same friend who made that comment about the homework the other time, because he was also in the lecture hall. And I was like, ah, I didn't like that joke. And he said, ah, but it was just a joke. And I was like, no, but it wasn't just a joke. It made me feel unwelcome. I was like, but I can't really place a finger on why this made me feel uncomfortable. And then, um, a couple of weeks later, I uh, I got a um, someone that I had talked about this with sent me an article of a documentary that was released um, featuring 30 minutes of women in computer vision talking about this picture and about how when it's introduced in lectures, 80% of the people laugh in the room and then there's just some that don't. And um, that some had even experienced um, uh, professors saying, or professors, yeah, professors saying, you know, don't Google the whole picture. So then everyone, of course, starts Googling the whole picture and you as a single woman in the room are left to, um, to deal with the mid-20, beginning of 20 boys who are looking at the full-on picture um, of this nude woman. And you're supposed to do algorithms or to, to, to do homework with this picture then, which we were never asked to, luckily. But um, I just started realizing this is, this is a, a thing. Like, I, I'm not alone in this. And um, that was really revelatory to me because it just... Um, shows the small little small little things that um that make you feel uncomfortable and mm -hmm. that make you realize you're not you're one of few um in the in the classroom um yeah. you can't yeah. just use a cat picture like the rest of the internet <laughs> no exactly exactly i was like <laughs> to be like any the internet is so <laughs> full of pictures and since he didn't make it about the history of the picture, I, I had to find out that this was the picture on which the JPEG format was built. It's not like he said that. Um, right, that and, might have at least been informative, that might have, but still. Yeah, it's like, I, fair enough. I mean, otherwise, if you completely take it out of the lecture, which actually now he ended up doing because uh, it was reported. Mm. But uh, if, 
if you completely take it out, you also risk that um, students are stumbling over it in research papers or so um, and are wondering, wait, why did, I never, why did I never hear about this picture? And that brings me to, to, to what I wrote to you, what we could talk about, like this, the, the fact that we need communication about the issue. Mm -hmm. Because what the professor then did, which I thought was really great after it was reported, is that he sent out an announcement, but he also talked about it for a bit um, in the lecture. I unfortunately missed it, but I had um, friends tell me about it. Um, and I thought that was really important because he really sent out the message to everyone in that classroom. And even if people hadn't noticed it before, or if people um, weren't aware of it before, they were then obliged to at least be exposed to it for 20 minutes and think about it a bit further. And every student, especially every male student I talked to about it, was saying, I had no idea. And I think that's such a big aspect of it. It's just this, like, I had no idea. Mm -hmm. But you don't want to be the one who always speaks up. You don't want to be the one who has to say, hey, this sucks. Um, but you have to find this, this magic balance that I also mm -hmm. don't know how to find where, um, where you realize uh, or where you, you, yeah, you say something, but you're also not, you also feel supported. And unfortunately, I think that in, in some situations, it would just have more impact if, if a male student would support you in the issue or would speak up on it. If, if a male student had said in the lecture, don't you think that that picture is a bit outdated? That would have had way more impact, actually, mm -hmm. than a woman saying it. Yeah. Because it shows that there's mutual respect and, and, and as a woman, I always feel that, you know, if I pinpoint this, if I put a finger on it, then um, I'm just going to be the hysterical woman who has to make it all about being a woman. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's hard because it's, it all comes down to like the situation you're in too, right? Like it's one thing mm -hmm. if it's like one friend of yours, you know, one-on-one -on -one versus like this big, sort of systematic situation exactly yeah especially yeah. if you're yeah. you know one person taking on the system is is a lot and it's hard yeah um, yeah and yeah and it's always also a matter of power um mm -hmm. a matter of you know what am i risking if i speak up what am i mm -hmm. risking if if i'm identified as the person who spoke up or um if it's a one-on-one -on -one even it's almost impossible i think to speak up and it also it also shows that um there needs to, it, I, I think it requires a lot more preventive measures where um, the, the professors at every stage of their career, no matter if they've been professors for 30 years or for two days, um, need to undergo consecutive training on how to really deal with it and how to be aware of it and um, how to, yeah, how to, um to be sensitive to the issue um yeah doing anything because, proactive would be better than being reactive um yeah in most absolutely. scenarios yeah, but exactly. especially this because you can sort of like head yeah. off anything that could have happened before it happened yeah 
Yeah. Just because people, like I said, people just don't know or don't realize the impact of something that they say may have on someone else. Um, yeah. Just maybe they don't know and nobody's ever said anything and they don't think about it any deeper. And Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, I think uh, what, at least for me, the last one and a half, two years has, has shown is that it's really important to not always go directly to the, um, to report it. Um, <clears throat> but, but to, to seek the conversations with the other students, mm -hmm. because um, most are just not aware of it. And I've had a lot of very positive feedback when I did speak up about it. And when I did mention it, um, I think part of it is also the Swedish culture that um, they, they tend to just be a little bit more, um, uh, what's the word? Um, not closed off but you know seemingly fine everything is okay mm. it's not too bad it's not too too good um yeah it's uh we don't share too much we don't share too little uh but you know it's very easy to just be okay and to not give away too much and to not make too much trouble and to not stick out too much and be the mm. the special person in the room or whatever um but realizing that um, there are so many little moments in everyday life where um, both as a woman and as a man, you say things that just for a second you didn't think about. Mm -hmm. um, and then having someone who can, who can pinpoint it onto you without accusing you directly of, oh my God, you're sexist. <laughs> Um, is so important because otherwise I, I guess you, you, you curate a culture of scare where nothing, you know, mm -hmm. nothing is discussed anymore. And that's not where I want to, where I want to be either. Um, yeah. Uh, my yeah. favorite thing to ask people is, but what do you mean by that? And then they mm. either like say the same thing again, or then they think about it and they're like, Oh wait, maybe that's not exactly what I meant. Yeah. Like they yeah. said something, but it didn't come out the way they intended, or if it is the way they intended, yeah. and then that's what they thought about, they're like, "Ooh, yeah. shouldn't say that." Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it's like, like a kind of non-aggressive way yeah. to get them to think about it, I guess. Yeah. But yeah. It's certainly like it's, hard to say, especially like like yeah. you said, if someone else has you know power if they're higher rank or yeah. whatever. I mean, it's really, I, I find it terribly hard not to be aggressive about it at first, <laughs> especially in the moment. I find it terribly hard. Um, yeah. I, but, but also, I, I feel in a very effective measure is always to be self-critical and to be um, self to be aware of the fact that everyone is fallible um, and to give the benefit of the doubt that, you know, it's not an intended, uh, it's not an intention um, to, to exclude anyone or to hurt anyone. Um, but, and it's, it's also, I mean, I personally have started to just blind out talk about like to talk about topics that might be controversial for today, for example, we, um, I was sitting with 
pretty equally actually five five guys and five uh, women um, in our kitchen in the in the laboratory and there's researchers from all kinds of departments it's not only the underwater people um, and I saw a post that the Scottish Parliament today um, passed a, um, a resolution to make tampons and pads completely free for everybody and i was like and there was a scot a scottish person sitting a scottish guy sitting at the table I was like have you seen this he's like yeah so nice um and then someone was saying i wish they made cups uh free because that would be way more sustainable and then the us women started talking about yeah but it's actually not so good for every um women to use a cup all the time blah 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 so we got into all the details of the period <laughs> and the period pants and the cups and the tampons and you could just slowly start to notice it was also funny that the five guys were sitting on one side and the five, uh, <laughs> women on the other you should just kind of slowly start noticing how each of the guys were kind of sort of retiring into their little space and were starting to be a bit quiet and at some point I was like, is this making you guys uncomfortable? And they're like, yeah, you know, no, it's fine. You keep, but you know, we're just gonna talk about something different about our <laughs> stuff. And I was like, no, you should be talking about period with us because why, like, why are you feeling uncomfortable about it? Um, and later we were having this, you know, kind of pointless conversation about uh, what our superpowers are and one uh, one of them said to me and said oh Anna's superpower is that she starts a debate on everything and I was like oh my god am I that bad <laughs> they meant it in a good way and I realized the half hour afterwards that I was really about to start a debate on every almost <laughs> everything someone said I was like no come on you can't be I was like oh shit I'm I'm really I'm just making a topic out of everything but in 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 I, I'm, I realized I'm happy about that because I'm starting to just speak out and because I know that I'm someone who doesn't mind speaking out. And I guess I'm just going to take the leap for those who don't want to. Um, and I hope that that's okay. But um, <laughs> um, which kind of brings us back to, you know, there's different types of learners, there's different types of studiers and there's different types of, of women also some might not want to speak out but um yeah I'm just, I, I just feel like I'm I'm if, if, if there's one thing I can do it's to just keep pointing out when these things happen and um yeah try to try to raise awareness for it but uh, yeah. yeah I think that that's good because so you were talking about how you sort of um became more aware of it when when you got to Stockholm and then with Homer Bound as well it seems like it sort of made it more apparent to you and I feel kind of the same way obviously with Stockholm but um like I was you know in a small program and it was like it wasn't an even mixture but it was not like heavily skewed one way or the other it was like men and women but you know my friend group was pretty equal and then it's just sort of like I just never really noticed the, if there were more men or more women until mm -hmm. um, like a year or two ago when I realized that, okay, my boss is a woman and all of my coworkers are women. And that's kind of unusual after just started learning and talking to people. 
but I never really noticed it before, but I've been like in a bubble, like just, just didn't know, um, clueless, naive, something. But then, you know, I got into Homer Bound and I started to realize like, yeah, I really am in like a little bubble and there's like this whole other world out there and that I should really like step up and do something. So mm. we'll try to figure out what that I mean, I think, is, but <clears throat> I think it's, um, um, for, for me at least, I never thought I was in that environment. As I said, even though I experienced those stories in Berlin, I never really perceived myself as, as, a, as a victim to it or mm -hmm. as a subject to right, it. But, um, and I think luckily, um, I would say that might be different in, um, in other, in, in, in the States at least, we hear this from college campuses a lot more frequently than from European college campuses, um, that her physical harassment, fortunately, is, I don't think, very much experienced here. Um, okay. But what I, what I started to realize, and this is actually um, also on the, in the Homework Bound Gender Fact Sheet, is that harassment is completely subjectively defined. Mm -hmm. I mean, for one person who's incredibly confident and strong, it might just not affect her. Or him, for that matter, it could be both. Um, mm -hmm. And for another person, harassment could be um, just the slightest, uh, the slightest touch, or the slightest um, approach, or the slightest comment, even. And it's just, it just doesn't matter um, what what you actually did. If that was perceived as an harassment, it means that there was a lack of communication and it means that it happened and that, that there's a, there's something off. And, um, I, I, I realized at least here that I'm, I am victim to this more, um, verbal harassment and the, the kind of subconscious, um, manipulation, not manipulation, but, but, the, the small things that add up gradually and at mm -hmm. some point make you realize, I feel like I have to work 10 times as hard or I feel like I am, I, I actually don't have to work 10 times as hard because I'm a woman. That's also, I mean, it's not, I don't want to complain about the many great opportunities I get because I'm yeah. one of very few women um, in the science, but it would just be greater if we had more of them. Like it, it, it yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it would be great um, if more women had all the cool opportunities, you know, yeah, we're, yeah. I think that that would be cool. It's just in general, everybody, yeah. especially women had more interest yeah. or more, not interest, um, access. Yeah. To all the cool things yeah, that are happening this is, out there. It's, it's, it's the access and it's also the, the empowerment. Um, mm -hmm. I was, I was doing a fundraising event in, in Berlin during Christmas for Homeward Bound and um, one of the participants who was a woman, she actually said, um, you know, I don't think that we really lack gender equality in, um, or that we lack equal, uh, equal rights in, in education. All we can all get into engineering if we just wanted to as girls, but I think maybe um, 
she was a scientist herself, she said, maybe we're just not as fit for it. Maybe we're just biologically, you know, not, not as fit for science and engineering. And I could see all the faces in the audience in front of her. And I could, I, I, I wasn't even sure how to, how to respond to that question because at fir the first thing I thought was, oh my God, I totally did not give a good presentation if that's what is coming out of this. <laughs> um, I obviously didn't do my job. Um, and, and then I thought, well, she's right in one way. We don't lack equal rights for men. Uh, for women, at least in, in Europe, I would say, um, or the States for that matter, for, for women to, to get into engineering. But we lack equal opportunities. We, of course, no one can legally keep us from going into engineering or science or mathematics or medicine. But from day one, when we're born, <laughs> we're growing up in a society that just programs us to believe we can't. Um, mm -hmm. And one participant, a former teacher of mine also, um, who was there said, you know, if I look back to school, Anna, um, the, the, the girls were always the best in mathematics and chemistry and in every subject for that matter, but especially math, you were always better than the guys. You always had better grades. Um, so I don't really think it's that you don't, you, you can't do it. Um, so sometimes I get a bit, you know, like frustrated about uh, these women need more programs and more and more more rights, etc. Because, um, like you 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 could all do it, and I was like, um, you just gave me the perfect argument. You're exactly right. Women have. Oh, girls tend to tend to perform better during school because of other reasons, not that because we're smarter than boys, we're equally smart um, until someone proves otherwise, but they haven't. Um, uh, but there's exactly what you said, the fact that we were always more girls also in the science um, courses, except for physics, um, we were better in mathematics but how many of us actually went into engineering? Like almost none. Mm -hmm. And that's where, that's where the pipe leaks. <laughs> yeah. That's where we have such a giant hole mm -hmm. that we, we, we somehow program or teach girls in high school to be super good students and to excel at math and to excel in science and to be studious and and then we don't give them the tools and the motivation and the empowerment to go into engineering. Yeah. And I really, I really wonder how, why that is. And until we fix that, there will always only be four girls out of 16 robotics. Right. Yeah. It's yeah. Like... <laughs> it, sounds, it sounds to me, again, I only heard about the leaky pipeline concept a couple months ago. It's how far behind mm -hmm. I am. Um, oh, me but, too. I, I yeah. learned about it in November, I think. Yeah. Yeah. It was, yeah, just a couple of years awesome. ago. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so it seems like it maybe is two parts. I don't know. Like people saying, 
oh, you can't do this or not telling them they can do that. And also maybe the like environments within engineering or probably some other ones as well is maybe just inherently not friendly to maybe women of certain personality. Like maybe mm -hmm. it's hyper aggressive or like super competitive or, you know, traits that tend to not, I mean, I don't, I personally would not be like a hyper aggressive sort of environment, but and I don't know if that's true, but I feel like maybe it just seems that way, even if it isn't that way. And maybe that's like a deterrent. I don't know, but maybe it's, mm. there's probably multiple things at play, but I honestly don't really know what the answer is. Um, yeah, I, I don't either. Um. Yeah, like, I wonder <laughs> but, how many people, I'm sure there's numbers out there, like how many women start in engineering and then transfer or swap or something? Mm. I don't know. Or if they just never get there to begin with, because then that's, yeah, it's leaking somewhere else. Yeah, I mean, that's a, yeah, I'm sure there yeah, are numbers. Um, but even, you know, ev the, the, the leaking pipe, which, why, uh, the, the reason why I find the concept so amazing um, is that it it can it, it covers this mm -hmm. whole range from high school to yeah. um, becoming a professor. It's just the fact that even if even if you do have equal representation at the beginning of a mm -hmm. university degree, for example, or an undergrad degree, there's so many different little factors that cause mm -hmm. women to drop out and to to stop um, from becoming pregnant as the first thing um, which in research environments is just it can be detrimental almost mm -hmm. if but at least at, at mo uh, most certainly it's slowing you down mm -hmm. um, and as long as academia stays as programmed to pace and programmed to you know devote your entire day and your entire night and your entire weekend to your research as long as it stays like that there's simply no way mm -hmm. for women to to um to excel in the research the same way that men have the opportunity to even in yeah. a country like sweden where um patern where, where uh, paternal leave is equally divided amongst men and women, it still doesn't mean they will first of all take it. Mm -hmm. um, because if the man has a higher pay, there's simply less, uh, less motivation for him to take paternal leave. Mm -hmm. um, but at least if the man doesn't take paternal leave, the days can't be shifted towards the women. So there's more, there is obviously more, um, more motivation to take them. But the 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 um the impairments of a woman being pregnant start so much sooner than that if you're mm -hmm. there's a case right now in our laboratory that of a woman who's pregnant um who's working on battery technology on her phd and chemicals so from day one when she was pregnant um until the last day she breastfeeds she cannot go into the lab which essentially means that her research is on hold for one and a half years mm -hmm. or she has to get money for someone else to conduct it. And uh, that's just double the time that a man spends in paternal leave. Mm -hmm. So there it starts. And you know, then all these little, the little things just add up. And um, yeah, 
I was I was giving a lecture last week at uh, Uppsala University um, at a um, at a little student-run course on technology power and the future of humankind and it's like a lecture series and um, I, I, I held it on technology and research and, and women in research um, and talked about the leaking pipe also and the second part of the the lecture we did a a little workshop um, kind of like design thinking process where um, we sort of created the um, or try to create the, the ideal research environment or identify situations where the, the students had felt uncomfortable or unsure how to handle the situation. So both from a male and from a female perspective. And it was so clear that the men who were present um, want to prevent these things from happening, but are so unsure how to, and are so un sure to speak up and they both named situations where they noticed that for example the one i think one of them mentioned a situation where um, uh, a girl's idea wasn't heard by the professor and then a guy said it and got the credit for it and many other people noticed it but didn't speak up because he said i didn't speak up because i didn't feel like i want I'm speaking for the girl. I don't, you know, want to be another dominating figure, which I absolutely understand. From my point of view, though, if I were in that situation, I wouldn't want to be the hysterical dominating woman who complains um, and would love it if a guy spoke up mm -hmm. and said, what was that? You didn't come up with that idea. So, you know, it's, it's a matter of, it's so interesting how, uh, how we're actually, I guess, on the same page, but mm -hmm. so right. difficult to identify. Personality is different, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, it's so complicated. Yeah. It's so, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which oh, also yeah. means that, you know, sometimes just not to make a giant deal out of it is important, but <laughs> until I know that everyone thinks about it, I'm, I'm yeah, I don't know. No, I think staying the course is good because, like you said, proactive and being proactive and sort of just like, I don't know if education is the right word for it or not, but like the more that people learn about it and know and know how to talk about things like that, uh, I think that, you know, the better it will be and, and then it'll like ripple from there, hopefully. Anyway, mm, yeah. Yeah. the more um, we talk about it, the better it will get, hopefully. Yeah, in here in Sweden, they um, every master's program has some kind of um, sustainability course um, throughout the two years. So in our case, we have every quarter a seminar on a specific topic that is somehow related to sustainability. We had one on the SDGs on the Sustainable Development Goals. We had then one on motivation on procrastination um, on climate change and there's only one left now and i'm really curious what the topic is going to be but i really 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 hope it's going to be um gender equality and gender awareness but if not um i would love to suggest to them to just have the first seminar in 
each of the in each year um when the master students start out to be on gender mm -hmm. issues and to just reflect on it and share opinions and be aware of it before it all starts um, yeah that would be great yeah but Getting proactive yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah i i hope it would be ideal if, i really hope that it'll change at some point <laughs> yeah i think that it will i mean yeah I don't know when that point yeah. is, but you know. yeah, I, mean, <laughs> I yeah. think that progress is being made, even though it's maybe slower than a snail, but yeah, there's good, there's good, exa mm -hmm. good examples and good things. And um, I think working at small scale is also really effective and just making mm -hmm. sure you're, you're talking to the people around you and um, yeah constantly yeah. looking for that debate i think we're at least in my case i know that i used to be very comfortable to just not you know cause too much debate <laughs> um even though i said the opposite earlier and to just it's just more easy and um comfortable to have calm conversations mm -hmm. but whether it's political or this you know like gender aspect or climate change i am just starting to realize uh we need to we need to debate again <laughs> yeah. we need to fight because it's otherwise we just get sucked into our own thoughts mm -hmm. um, and the more we talk about it the easier it gets to talk about like getting over that hurdle yeah, the first absolutely. time it's yeah. hard but it gets a little easier every time yeah 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 absolutely about whatever the topic yeah. is and it's also amazing how you can i mean i always have to remind myself of that that the more you talk with other people the more insight you get and the more you're aware of the fact that wow you know my thoughts are kind of restricted to this round thing <laughs> on my neck but <laughs> that's just me there's like people have so many ideas and that's the same when I start talking about ocean technology, for example. So often people just say to me, I had no idea that existed. I had no idea what you're doing with it. Yeah, and I sure vice did. Versa, and, and vice versa. I had like no idea what a wetland scientist <laughs> is. It's the same next even... to the ocean. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But even, even um, within your field of study, there's there's just so many oh, yeah. things there's uh -huh. so much to discover and so many things you can do yeah. and and talking about at least to me this happens all the time when i talk about something completely different i suddenly get ideas about what i am actually doing and you can like kind of transfer transfer mm -hmm. methods or transfer thought mm -hmm. processes and, and it's so important and so vital and I, I, I felt recently that that got a little bit lost somehow, but yeah, so now I'm the debater. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's certainly not your only skill. <laughs> no. Yeah. I think that that just means you're inquisitive is what I took it as. Um, mm. Like you're asking questions is high. I mean, that's just how I understood it. Um, that's good. That's a better yeah. way to look at it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna sell it like that tomorrow. 
<laughs> I've decided it's not debating, it's selling questions. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I'm just curious. <laughs> um, or whatever, yeah. No. yeah. That's what, when you said that yeah. the first time, I was like, I think she's like that. My perception of that was that you are just, you know, inquisitive and just want to talk it all through. Um, yeah, I guess because, yeah, that's that that's that is true because I'm. I'm inquisitive, I guess, about the, 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 the background of what mm -hmm. the person said or curious about, you know, what exactly did you mean by that? Um, right. Yeah. yeah. Do you have anything else? You want I'm, to I'm inquisitive. I have a million more questions. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but um, I'm also, I, I mean, I could keep talking probably you four hours, but um, I am also approaching midnight. So. Oh yeah. Yes. Probably. Wow. We're going to catch up in May and we can have all of the chats. We are going to catch up in May here. We can make a live installment of this. That's podcast. right. We sure can. Yes. We could make it walk live through the lab and talk more mm -hmm. ocean right. robots stuff. Yeah. Actually. Let's do that. Okay. Heal. That's it. That's, that's a good deal. Ocean robots in May. <laughs> I like it. Wonderful. Also, I've Wonderful. never seen an ocean robot, so that might be cool. Ooh. That'll be that. That'll be fun for sure. We'll definitely do that if you want. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'm in. That sounds awesome. Cool. Awesome. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much, Anna. This Wonderful. Awesome. Thank you. So I hope that you have made it this far and enjoyed hearing Anna's stories and um, enjoyed the in-depth look at uh, being a woman in STEM, particularly in engineering. And uh, I'll have a bunch of information, as always, on my Twitter, at Flying Cypress, uh, for your viewing enjoyment and knowledge enhancement. And I hope that you will check some of that stuff out. Um, a couple of things that Anna and I talked about that I want to talk about. First of all, the book that got her interested in underwater robotics is called The Swarm. Uh, I actually read it after we talked about this, and I just finished it not that long ago. Um, Anna and I talked at the end of February. And so now it's April, but so I've just finished this book uh, and I loved it. If you love sci-fi and are interested in sort of like sci-fi mixed with ecology, mixed with just like world politics a little bit, then, um, and also all of the underwater robots, uh, I definitely recommend it. It's called The Swarm. So at the very end, Anna and I were gushing because we are, were, we were, planning to meet up in Stockholm in, uh, in one month, in the beginning of May. Obviously, the world of early April 2020 is very different than the world of February 2020, because we are in the middle of this massive uh, COVID-19 pandemic. So I am no longer going to Sweden, but I left that in because we were just so excited. Um, and then we continued to talk about other things that I thought were relevant and interesting. but. That was just a, a you know thing I had to fact check in our podcast because I'm no longer going to Sweden, but uh, I hope to still meet Anna this year, um, hopefully when we go to Antarctica in November. Uh, hopefully that's a thing that will still happen with Homeward Bound, which I talk about a lot on Twitter, as I said. So the important things, Anna's awesome, robots are cool, read the swarm, uh, and check out my Twitter for all the information and if you want to be on my podcast, uh, hit me up, also on Twitter, 
or on my website, which is rachelvalani.com slash podcast for, um, there's like a submission form. Uh, yeah. And then come back next week because we'll have Dr. Alice Lenthe talking about safety and uh, why that's important. <laughs>